On behalf of the National Public Housing Museum, we thank you for tuning into our oral history audio listening series, Out of the Archives. In each episode, we will share a diverse range of stories told by public housing residents from our oral history archive. Stories make up the backbone of any culture. They tell us who we are and where we are from. They create empathy and understanding, and they allow us an opportunity to share our experiences and learn from the words of others. The stories in our archive lift the voices of an oftentimes marginalized community and create a space for important conversations to happen. Here at the NPHM, we firmly believe in the power and importance of everyday stories and their ability to expand and redefine our understanding of American history. Our mission is to preserve, promote, and propel the right of all people to a place where they can live and prosper, a place to call home. And we hope that this collection of stories not only reinforces that belief, but can shed a light on an American experience that is all too often left unheard. Earlier this month, the museum learned of the passing of our board member, Saul Himmelstein. We are all deeply saddened by this loss and will remember him fondly as an advocate not only for the museum, but for public housing on a whole. The museum's board chair, Sonny Fisher, wanted to share her memories on Saul's legacy. We are deeply saddened that Saul Himmelstein, a treasured National Public Housing Museum board member since 2009, passed away on December 8, 2020. Saul grew up in Bradley Court, a public housing development in Newark, New Jersey. He understood from his own experience that having decent housing was the basis for a successful life and should be afforded to everyone. He was president and CEO of the Inspection Group based in Columbus, Ohio since 1997. And it was through his work inspecting public housing developments all over the country, including Chicago, that he learned about the National Public Housing Museum. Todd Palmer, the former interim ED, said, Saul was a steadfast and passionate champion for the museum. Indeed, he saw the light and spread the word in ways that helped us all. Saul's enthusiasm for NPHM was renowned. At housing conferences, he could be found in hallways regaling his colleagues about the museum or shepherding them to sessions about us. Every year, he loaned us the booths that the inspection group secured to, publish, to publicize our work. And Lisa Lee, the NPHM's current ED, said, I will always cherish the memories of tabling at NARO conferences with passionate people-loving Saul. Saul's boundless enthusiasm for the museum, his big ideas, and even bigger personality impressed everyone. He had an idea a minute for supporting the museum, large and small. For example, he would often send gifts to the board, most recently lapel pins depicting the museum's new logo. And though he could seem gruff, his distinctive New Jersey accent, often rising above other voices when he wanted to make a point, was always respectful and supportive and humorous. He engendered affection and respect from all who knew him. It was our good fortune to experience Saul's warmth, his gusto, his generosity, his smarts, his larger-than-life presence, and we will miss him greatly. Keith McGee, the museum's founding executive director, called him a gentle giant among us, and he was. Thank you. Thank you, Sonny. In this episode, entitled Close to Home, Reflections on the Animal Court, 
We wanted to celebrate the end of a long year by sharing a selection of stories that are central to the museum's future home in Chicago's Little Italy neighborhood, the Jane Addams Animal Court. You'll hear from residents that they share stories reminiscing on the magical Edgar Miller animal sculptures that served as a meeting ground and landmark for generations of its residents. The storytellers include Duane Crockett, who lived in Abla from 1960 to the present day, Byron Dickens, who lived in Abla from 1966 to 2001, Ferran Freeman, who lived in Abla from 1973 to the present day, Marquita Gandhi, who lived in Abla from 1973 to 2004, John Tia Pegues, who lived in Abla from 1987 to 1997, James Purgatorio, who lived in Abla from 1943 to 1957, and Gloria White, who lived in Abla from 1970 to the present day. The animal court sculptures could be found in the Jane Addams homes from 1937 to 2007. Once again, we'd like to dedicate this episode to our board member, Saul Himmelstein, who passed earlier in December of 2020. My name is John Tia Pegues. Um, we just used to run around and um, climb them. Sometimes one of them would be safe if we were playing it. So you have to get to, and I liked the biggest one. It was one towards the back of the, and when I say the back, I'm, I'm thinking you'd be going north, I guess. That's the north side of the animal court is what I would consider the back of the animal court because my aunt lived towards the south of the animal court. So the one in the back was the biggest one. And it seemed like it was like a bunch of animals together. It wasn't just one. Um, so I liked that one the most, and I would climb that one. And you just climb in and sit up there, act like you're the queen of the world or whatever. Just, you know, I didn't, I didn't like get on much of the smaller ones. I liked the largest one. <laughs> um, I recently saw a picture of my step aunt passed away um, not too long ago. And I saw a picture of her and my other like step aunts and my stepmom like playing on there, which is crazy. I'm like, man, how long have these things been here? <laughs> my name is Marquita Gandy. We had several um, statues of different animals back there. And that was like one of the big meeting places where a lot of people met at back there and engaged and, you know, have fun every year to keep the paint, you know, furnished, uh, to make them still look nice every year. So they used to have like the the ram, the bull, the rhinoceros, um, oh wow, like a deer, I think it was um, the real big one that stood like nine feet tall. It was like, like five or six animals combined on that one. So that one was real nice. and. I think everybody we used to always climb up on that one because that was the highest one. So we used to play games, who can get up there, you know. And then, you know, we used to have the merry-go-round inside of um, the Animal Court too, where people used to play on it. And um, people used to actually grow gardens back there because they had backyards where the row houses were. So everybody had a backyard. So a lot of um, the residents back there, they had gardens in their yards. Hi, my name is Gloria White. Well, I was still kind of young then, and it it was something to do. 
take pictures. Let's take pictures, you know. And, and a lot of a lot of kids used to be on them. Could you describe so for, for someone who's ever seen it? Could you describe the animal courtyard? At one while, they say that used to be a pretty place. And then. People moved in there with kids, and they just didn't take care of it no more. My name is Brother Byron Dickens. It was especially in the summertime. You know, you went to what you call the choke house where they would give you free lunch, and you went to the animal court just to hang out. Sometimes on the weekends, you know, they would do skating parties. You know, they hired DJ. Do skating parties. Uh, somebody's selling snowballs. Somebody's selling candy. So it was like a community hangout place. You know, you didn't do a lot of bad stuff till it was night because some of the mothers would be, you know, enjoying the weather as well. And they knew, you know, they knew each other. Um, they had Bible study. You know, my mom used to go by and cook for, you know, um, some of her friends that was older. So it was a it was a great place to to just go and okay what's going on in Lamar Court? Not to say that you know at night you, you knew crime was you know so that's what it was saying you know when the street lights come on be in front of this door so we knew <laughs> but then you know the people that lived in the next hallway we was all friends so we had a problem being in front of the house so but the, those animals you know like I said you know we Mr. Farley used to paint them. And we'll come right on them, especially if they, you know, if it's white. If he painted them white, I seen a, one of the structures out there. You know, I remember that one. <laughs> just sitting on them, it was just a place to, you know, you had benches, you know, but we wanted to sit on animals, and especially the the real big one. It had a big one that used to be in, at like, in the middle of, not in the middle, kind of like at the end of the animal court by the building. You know, that was a challenge to climb on, you know. So so it, it was a, just a a place where you can be, have some fun, but, you know, in the daytime, great place to, to be. James Purgatorio. The animals in the courtyard were about a block away from our house. And... Although I spent some time there, it was not my favorite stopping place, simply because, number one, the animals were not very inviting to play on. I mean, I always had the feeling that they were difficult to climb onto and, you know, just uh, enjoy them uh, as animals. They were really something that were more scary to me than they were places to enjoy uh, to uh, enjoy their presence. So I never really got at all attached to them, but always remembered them fondly from the standpoint that they were so unusual and I don't ever recall being any place that had anything even close to something like that in the neighborhood. So what I did is I'd walk through there and when I would walk through there, it was usually early evening after dinner, and there were just throngs of kids 
throughout the courtyard. Some of them playing on the animals, some, some of them just, you know, other games that they, they were playing from, you know, a little bit of uh, softball pickup and ring allevio if uh, that was a game that uh, some of them were, were familiar with and hide and seek and so on. But just kids having fun, running around and enjoying the summer and, you know, the surroundings in, in that neighborhood or in that particular courtyard area. And uh, it was a place that we all talk about and talk about it with some uh, reverence because of the uniqueness of, of the way it was designed. And just, it was such a drawing uh, location for, for so many kids uh, to be there and just inter being interacting with, with all the other kids. Ferran Freeman. There were stone animals, a hippo. It was a monkey bar, uh, hippos and pandas. And I think it was like three, three. It was like two, it was three sets of twos, I think, I'm not sure. Then it was the big one, the big elephant or hippo, or whatever that was uh, in the back. Um, of the animal court. And we called it animal court because those were animals, stone animals inside of the, the open field by the uh, apartments. We, we had festivals, we had concerts inside the courtyard. We had like a Jane Adams. we had a Mr. Farley day. Uh, Mr. Farley was like the maintenance man. He was like the one that put up the Christmas lights all around. Uh, he did the maintenance. He was like the father of every, like all our fathers. He was like, the, for the ones who didn't have one, Mr. Farley was like the granddad, the father, the granddad who made sure we had, we celebrated, we had fun, you know. So, you know, growing up, we had little concerts, we had little talent shows in the animal court. Dwayne Crockett, Dwayne D. Crockett. Yeah, he had about... 15 different animals in there. Hippopotamus, elephant. Uh, uh, I used to work on the Jane Adams. I went over there for a few years cleaning up that animal court. Okay? So, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give one of the gentlemen to in the museum pictures of the animal court. So y'all could have it. So I can't tell y'all the name of the animals right now, but it, it was quite a few of them. But they're only putting about four to six of them back over there. Anyway, when all of us were to be back over there, okay? Yeah. Well, my baby was the, 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 the elephant. Okay. He had a trunk, you know, you sit up on his back, he put you up on his neck and carry you like you, you were sitting in the car seat over there, sitting on the bus or anywhere else, you know what I'm saying? Okay. And you could slide down that side, there's a little stuff. Small slide, slide down that side, but it's a step you had to climb up on them to get up on any of them. Unless somebody picked you up and put you up there. Once again, the NPHM thanks you for listening to this episode of Out of the Archives. This series is supported by the Institute of Museum and Library Services, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, Illinois Humanities, the Kresge Foundation, and the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. This episode was engineered by Seth Engel at Pallet Sound. 
We'd like to give one last huge thanks to our Avila storytellers, Dwayne Crockett, Byron Dickens, Perone Freeman, Marquita Gandhi, Jantia Pegis, James Purgatorio, and Gloria White, as well as the members of the museum's oral history corps who helped to gather these stories, including Francesco de Salvatore and Ashley Jefferson. As the year finally comes to a close, I'd like to give a special thank you to everyone who's taken a little bit of time out of their busy lives to listen to this series. I hope that these stories have given you some sort of reprise from the difficult times that we're in. I know they have for me. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to sharing more stories with you in the new year. Have a happy holidays from everyone here at the NPHM.